Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to welcome in any new listeners who are checking us out for the first time. We're happy to have you here. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like all of you, and we make no apologies for that. My name is Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find our main accounts at Bastards underscore Boston. I'm coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. The Red Sox are coming off a two out of three game series loss to the Baltimore Orioles. And joining me tonight on the show from Denver, Colorado, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, is Andrew Duan. Andrew, how are you? Hanging in there. Tough night. Bruins lost. So, you know, we're doing this 10 minutes after. Fresh wounds. Yeah, brutal. Absolutely brutal night for us to be recording, but uh, we're going to power through it. And uh, where can they where can they find you on Twitter? That's going to be at Andrew Dwan MLB. All right. And also joining us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? Not too bad. Not a great end of the Orioles series, but I guess a 500 road trip isn't the worst thing ever. Red Sox currently are 500 at 13 and 13. They are fifth place still in the American League East. Seven and a half games behind the unstoppable uh, Tampa Bay Rays, who finally did just lose their first game at home to the uh, defending champs of all teams, the, the Houston Astros. So grinding along and... Uh, Ready to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. And where can they find you on Twitter? Oh, absolutely. Uh, at Cushman MLB. And uh, if we didn't say it already, the uh, podcast account is at Bastards underscore Boston. Yep, absolutely. So you can feel free to come and yell at us on uh, all those handles if you so choose. Uh, so we're going to get into our five reasons why the Red Sox did not come away with a series win this week. Uh, our our win streak on the midweek crew, by the way, lasted a grand total of one week. So <laughs> we're it, back to, yeah, we, we had one winning uh, series so far. That's it. The whole season. Yeah. Yeah, the whole <laughs> season. We started off with two in a row losses, got one, and then uh, we're back to another loss. It's been so weird, though. I mean, if you go back to the Brewer series, like every win happens as a result of one inning in the game. Like Brewers are up by a run. Red Sox have a huge fifth inning, make a bunch of stuff happen. I think the Brewers kind of, um, you know, got sloppy, but the Red Sox win that game as a result of the fifth inning. Then in the finale of the Brewer series, again, which was the first series of this road trip, um, Eighth inning, Red Sox are down by one, but then they put up nine. Huge inning, wins it for them. And then the opposite kinds of ha- kind of happens in Baltimore. I mean, Sale had that one three-run inning. Uh, Baltimore needed a little bit more than that, but that was the inning where the game got lost for the Red Sox. And then uh, just today, Hauk cruising, but the fourth inning just couldn't, uh, you know, just couldn't keep it together. And that one inning, again, that was what Baltimore did it. So it's like crazy yeah it's been weird yeah there hasn't been a lot of like back and forth wins or losses it's, it, you're right it's like it all happens at once and then that's your ball game so a little bit weird in that regard but um 
Either way, the Red Sox do drop two out of three. So we're going to get into the five reasons why that happened. Coming in at number five on the list, uh, we put him on the back end because I don't think he's a major problem for this team. But we're going to start off with Rafael Devers, just a quiet series for him, apart from the absolute missile that he hit in game one. But that was uh, unfortunately the only hit he had the rest of the series. He went one for 11 uh, with a pair of strikeouts the rest of the way. So quiet series from your best player. Typically, that's that leads to a couple of losses, especially if the rest of the lineup just, you know, isn't going that great, which, you know, some guys are starting to heat up like Justin Turner and Masataki Yoshida, but it's a lot of guys who aren't. A lot of guys who still aren't hitting. So when Devers goes quiet, it's it's pretty noticeable and uh, it can hurt your offense a lot. But at the end of the day, are we concerned about Rafael Devers long term? I certainly am not. Defensively, he still looks completely solid and sharp, and um, he's still, you know, making good contact at the plate. He's still hitting the ball in the air. It's not like he had a series where he struck out six or seven times. He only struck out twice the whole series, so he's still putting the bat on the ball, just not getting the results he wants. But it's Rafael Devers. I think we all know what uh, what to expect out of him. So not a huge concern, but certainly not a great series for him. Uh, Terry, any other thoughts on Devers? The Red Sox are finally benefiting from a, a couple of players uh, waking up right now. Uh, most notably, Yoshida and um, Duran has been kind of a force to be reckoned with over the past few series. But Devers was really doing the most damage early on. And right out of the gates, one of the more consistent, you know, run producers and you know, when you carry something long enough, it starts to get heavy and, you know, and he's on a bit of a slump right now was just one for 11 in the series. He actually only struck out twice the whole series, if my notes are correct. And um, so just not, not terrible, but he was also uh, two for 12 in the last series. So that makes him three, three for 23 in the last two series. And I'm going to go back one more three for 12 after that. So that's uh five for 35. I think, uh, you know, he's had a definitely had a quiet road trip and I don't really know what the fix is. His batting average is down to 238. So you gotta, you have to get him. You have to get him swinging. I mean, Turner is a good guy to have behind him. And although Turner did have a quiet series, he's been one of the more consistent guys, uh, you know, lately. So um, hopefully, hopefully he figures it out. But I hope this just doesn't become a big story. Uh, you know, David Ortiz famously in, I think it was 2010, 2011, somewhere in that, maybe it was 09 and 2010, got off to a couple horrendous starts and people were thinking the dude might be washed. Like something's not right here. And luckily, you know, he went on to have great second halves and some legendary moments, you know, for much of the next decade. But Devers is not a guy we can have slump. So hopefully he gets it around. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew? Yeah, you know, 
he's been just ultra aggressive all season long. And, you know, for most people that might be an issue, but with Devers, you're not going to tell him to take more pitches. The strikeouts have ticked up. He's around four to one uh, K's per, you know, to ball uh, to walks rather. So you can tell he's not getting the most, you know, contact, but when he is, he's driving it. Somehow he's got nine home runs, 24 runs batted in, has a great um, WRC plus. So I, I'm not too sure. I'm, he'll start making more solid contact, but the defensive game is as good as it's ever been. So that's a positive. It's not like he's going through anything mentally where he's botching it, you know, on both sides of the field. He'll come around. Anyone else, maybe some bells are starting to go off, but it's Devers. He's going to be fine. As far as Devers goes, do you want him hitting like – would you rather him be hitting like 295, 40 doubles, and let's say 28 home runs? Or do we want him hitting, you know, for a lesser average, but 30 to 35 home runs? Like, ideally, what's better for the, you know, the top five in the order, you know, in terms of what his production is? Kind of depends on, you know, <laughs> this is kind of. BS answer, a wimpy answer, but kind of depends on what the guys in front of him are doing. Um, you know, if guys in front of him are getting on base, then yeah, give me 290 with 25 to, you know, 28 home runs as opposed to 20 points lower batting average and seven to nine more home runs. I guess all things considered, yeah, give me the 290 with 28. Yeah, I just think the more extra bases he's hitting, the home runs are going to be there no matter what. It's just whether or not it's 28 or 38. But if he's cranking out doubles, and he has been a doubles machine at various points in his career, I just feel like I just think the, the offense fires on all cylinders when he's got that type of approach. Yeah, I always think the Red Sox offense is a little bit better when it's like an assembly line. It just keeps going next guy, next guy, next guy. And it's, you know, whether it's getting on base via a walk or, you know, like Verdugo and, you know, Devers hitting doubles all over the place. So I kind of agree. Like I, I would take the higher average with more doubles. And yeah, if he only hits 25 to 30 homers, that's fine. You know, you don't need a guy to hit. You don't need like the Aaron Judge to hit like 62 home runs in this lineup. Um the lineup will will produce runs if Devers is just, you know, hitting the ball into the gap. So I agree. I, I would take the higher average with less homers if it came down to that. Um, but like Andrew said, too, it's the other guys in the lineup have to do their job. And so far, like a couple of them are heating up, but they need more of that lineup to start getting on base uh, on a regular basis. So, and hey, maybe all Devers needs is to actually hit for the cycle, like in the Jordans commercials. That'll that'll get him going. But, uh, I don't know if that'll happen anytime soon, but we'll see. Um, so coming in at number four on the list, Andrew, who do we got? Going across the diamond, we got a fellow lefty, Tristan Cassis. He's still having good at bats. So that is one thing I ha can say he has going for him. He's not being ultra aggressive. I mean, hell, you kind of almost want him to be. It looked like he might be coming out of it when he put one 426 into the right field uh, seats the other night. But today it didn't translate. He's seen a lot of uh, pitches per bat. 
but it's not leading to success for hits. And I don't know if, you know, when he's doing these check swings on pitches that are strikes, if maybe they wanted him to start committing to it. I would like to see him swing a little more earlier in the count. He was doing that in spring training and having great success. He is seeing like six pitches per bat. It seems like every single time it's going to three to two, three and two rather, but it's not working out. The other thing that kind of caught my eye earlier was his defensive metrics are actually terrible. He was the worst rated uh, first baseman by baseball uh, savant stats and also by fielding Bibles. He had the least amount of defensive runs saved. He was, I believe, negative four, which was a little surprising to me. I think he's done pretty well on short hops um, on balls, you know, thrown to him. I don't know if he's not getting to many balls. It, just, it was something that I would have to look into a lot more, have someone smarter than me look into it, because that, that was a little eye-opening when I came across that this morning. Terry. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, Casas has just been – he's having a miserable start. Like, I didn't see this coming. And maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. And what he did last year in the month of September when he got called up was basically adequate. I mean, he hit right around 200. His OBP was 160 points higher. And I thought, okay, this is a great, this is a great foundation and you, you could only build on it. And, I mean, at the start of the season, we were we were talking about him being a leadoff guy, and I thought it was viable. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I thought, yeah, he could lead off. There was a lot of people talking about, you know, rookie of the year, you know, and believe it or not, Vegas had him slightly higher uh, than Yoshida in, in terms of winning rookie of the year. It was like razor thin, but Casas had a slight edge over Yoshida uh, as far as the Vegas odds go. And, you know, there was even some extension talks. And this is like, I think we're worse than Bobby Dahlbeck at this point. I, I think that's where we are. And I think it's a lose-lose situation to have him remain on the club, basically be not quite an automatic out because he is drawing walks, but he's not hitting. He just is not hitting. And... Anytime you raise the question of him being optioned down to Worcester on social media, you have people saying, and, and this isn't specific to him, it's with other prospects in the past, but when you raise the question, they're like, no, that'll ruin him. He'll be so ruined if you send him down. Well, guess what? If that's going to ruin someone, they're not tough enough to play in Boston. They're never going to make it you know, on the Boston Red Sox, if if they can't handle a demotion, go back down, get their head together, and then and then come back. I mean, it, it happens all the time across the majors. Uh, look at the kid in Seattle, I think, Kalenic. I mean, he's having a hell of a season. And he got sent down. And they didn't hesitate on that. Is he ruined right now? Did it ruin his career? No, absolutely not. So... I think it's the best thing for him. 
there's not a lot of great options, unfortunately. I mean, you you've got some people you can call up. Maybe there might be a backup first baseman you might be able to acquire from another team. I don't have any names off the top of my head, but the, there's a way to to address that, and I I don't think it helps anybody by leaving him up here. I really don't. And I'd much rather Tristan Casas go to Worcester and then come back maybe at some point in June and then have a heck of a second half. I, I think that's great for everyone. So that, that's yeah. my part of it. Yeah, like two weeks ago, I would have said, don't hit the panic button. You know, give them some time. It's still April. Like everyone brings up the Dustin Pedroia example of, well, Pedroia sucked in April when he got called up his first year and look what he did the rest of the year. Okay. But look at the calendar folks. April's going to be over in a couple of days. So how much longer do we, are we allowed to give him? Like, are we now pushing that deadline of, you know, to middle of May, we have to give him till the middle of May. And if he's still hitting, you know, around 200 and still, you know, not producing good at bats and is still struggling defensively. Do we keep him up here anyway? Because what you mentioned, Terry, about people saying, oh, if you send him down, it's going to ruin him. I think if you keep him up here and he continues to just struggle and be completely unproductive, I think that hurts him because then he's going to start to feel completely lost and he's going to start to question himself. And look, I, I don't know much about his character, but I imagine that the longer you're up in the big leagues and it's not clicking, the more you start to go, oh man, like, do I have it? And if he's up there second guessing himself every game, that's not going to help the Red Sox either. So I, I'm not advocating to send him down like today, but I would say after about another week or so, if he still hasn't figured it out, you may need to come up with an ulterior uh, or, or a different solution because, and again, I don't know what that is. Are, are the Red Sox better off with Bobby Dahlbeck playing first base every day? That, ugh, that, that sounds iffy because I'm not a Dahlbeck guy either, but I don't know. Maybe at this point he can give you just a little bit more than Casas. I don't think Dahlbeck will come up here and hit, you know, 290 and hit a home run every game, but he might just be a little bit better. And I think he will give you better defense. Um, the defensive stuff with Casas is weird because it, it seems like he's able to get to balls pretty well, line drives and, and stuff like that, short hops to first base. He seems to handle fine. It's more, I think, like his instincts and reading the situation on the field. Like there was that play a couple of weeks ago where, you know, he threw the ball over to third for a tag play that it just had no shot of working. Um, he's not you know, getting to cutoffs from the outfield to, to make relays happen. So it seems like there's a, a problem with his instincts or a problem with just his baseball IQ in the field. So maybe that's what's leading to the bad defensive metrics. But yeah, it's it's kind of weird that he, he's, you know, kind of quickly just turned into a, a not very good defensive first baseman. And I, it's probably something that they can improve. I think everyone has the ability to improve defensively at the big league level, but at the end of the day, it's his bat that needs to get going. It's not like his defense is atrocious. It's the bat that's really just not showing up. So I'm willing to give him about another week or so before I start to really consider, you may have to send him down and figure out something else at first base. Cause 
it's not working right now. And we gave him the month of April. It hasn't worked out. So I don't know how much longer you give him, but it can't be too much longer at this rate. And real quick, I mean, who have the Red Sox really developed? I mean, we've had a, a much better track record in, of developing pitching, uh, excuse me, of uh, hitting uh, players, position players, I should say. But, I mean, the Wong experience, I mean, that's been – it's in progress, and I, I think he could be better. But there's really nobody – in this lineup, that's a homegrown, established guy outside of Devers. You know, you like what you're seeing with Duran uh, recently, but, you know, we can't say that he's definitely arrived yet. So when you look at how they're handling Casas, like, what's the track record in, in the last handful of years to give them the credibility to say, yeah, they're doing the right thing. Leaving them up here is the right thing. Because... I don't think it necessarily is, and I I don't know the solution to it. I mean, you know, Valdez apparently can, I think, play the, the corners, possibly not very well. We might get into him later, but um, I just, I, I don't know. First base they, is a black hole right now. They really, I mean, they haven't had anyone um, to come up other than Dahlbeck and you know, Casas and Duran, really. Uh, they, Everyone that came in from this new regime was drafted in essentially 2021. Um, you had, other than 2020, Nick York and Blaze Jordan, but that's it. And, I mean, those kids were 18 and 17 when they entered the system, so that's not even relevant to the this conversation. So, it, I Truthfully, I'm okay if they let Costas figure this out as he goes in the majors. I really don't think that any, any time in Worcester would really do much for him at this point. Uh, he's proved that he can hit the lower or the upper minor uh, pitchers in that competition. And we all know what Worcester is anyways. It's just a haven for left-handed hitters. I At this point, I'd just, just rather him figure it out as he goes. I, I'm not too worried about him. He hasn't really cost him that many games. Uh, since he's giving them good at bats, but I don't know. I'm sure they'll have a conversation. I don't think they can bring anyone in from the outside. They don't have the 26 man spot. Uh, I don't know, you know, who you jettison off for what, uh, like a two to three week solution, anyways. But the, the track record still isn't great. I mean, Wong's gone up and down, Duran's gone up and down, and Duran, none That's of them. None of these issues that Duran worked through were resolved at the big league level. That was all done off-site, in the minors, probably, you know, just batting practice, all that. So I just, there, there's just not a lot to suggest to me that, that Casas of all of them is going to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fair point that we really don't know how they are in terms of player development when it comes to hitters, because, you know, it's a limited sample size. It's yeah. Duran, Dahlbeck, Devers from, you know, years ago and Casas. And right now Casas is off to a slow start. You mentioned Connor Wong. He hasn't really picked it up offensively. So I, I don't know what you attribute that to. Like, is that a hitting coach thing at the major league level? That's a problem. Is it that they're rushing them through the minor league system too much? I'm not sure. I don't think Casas was rushed. I mean, I think that they actually were pretty patient with him. People were clamoring for him to be up, 
you know, a long time ago. And the Red Sox kind of pumped the brakes and and held off until the very end of last year. So maybe it's a problem with the the hitting coaches or the hitting program at the major league level that's getting guys like Casas and Wong, you know, to struggle. And um, Duran seems to be fine so far, but he's only been up for barely a week. So let's see how he is as the season goes on. But it's definitely concerning, yeah. The the weird thing, too, is he seems to be recognizing balls and strikes because he's drawing a ton of walks. So he, he seems to have that figured out, but he just can't put the bat to the ball. I mean, it's mechanical to me. It has to be mechanical. Yeah, and it's tough because I got on him, I think, uh, one of our last shows because it frustrated me that he would look at two pitches right down the middle and then swing at a bad pitch, you know, down and in or down and away you know, for a strikeout or he would chase a bad pitch for like a pop-up or something. But I don't, that, then he starts swinging at like the first pitch sometimes and it's a fly out. So I think that he's even, I think they're having trouble with him in terms of like, he wants to take pitches. That's who Casas has always been. He, he wants to control the strike zone. And he wants to see a lot of pitches, but I think they're almost telling him you can't go down 0-2 every at bat. You've got to start putting the bat on the ball. And maybe that's what's tripping him up. And I don't know. It's like sometimes he reverts back to his old self where he takes a lot of pitches and, you know, doesn't doesn't swing the bat a lot. And then sometimes he's jumping on it. So I don't know if that's just a miscommunication between him and the hitting coaches or not, but it is certainly a weird approach. Um, so hopefully he picks it up because, it you know, I, I would hate to see him be sent down because I do want Casas to work out as a prospect. They need one of these guys to hit, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so number three on our list, Terry, your favorite guy. Who do we got? He uh, He's in my department. Uh, we have Christopher Allen Sale, who I didn't think was going to win. I didn't think it was going to be a good performance. Um, you know, we can get into some possible pitch tipping with him, but regardless of whether he was or was not pitch tipping, he still wasn't commanding very well. And even his fastball, when he tried to throw that in the outside part of the zone, it wasn't going to be a good night for him. And with the AL East, I mean, he's got a 12.75 ERA against the AL East. He's pitched very well against... American League Central teams, most notably the Twins and the Tigers. He's going to have the benefit of, uh, you know, pitching the finale against the Guardians this, uh, you know, this upcoming series, uh, which will also keep him out of the Toronto series. So that uh, could benefit him. But, you know, so many people thought, you know, after the Twins outing he was back they're like he struck out he struck out 11 but those guys were swinging at trash you know they're the number 28 offense for a reason they were swinging at everything and with the the orioles i mean they're a lot more disciplined they're they're a lot more disciplined than uh you know a couple of the teams he's faced so i've had people chirp me <laughs> on um uh, you know, on social media, and I'm just not seeing a guy that's figuring it out. And 
in the dugout, I mean, you see him pounding on a cooler with his fist and not smart for a guy who's had a, a history of dumb injuries with the, you know, um, with the bicycle accident. When he w- was with Chicago, he, he broke his ankle by jumping off the, um, the tailgate of his pickup truck, uh, you know, a handful of years ago. And um, so I just, I, I don't know. I, I didn't like what I saw. It, it was a very predictable loss. And um, we'll see. We'll see what comes of it uh, on Sunday when he faces a, a tough young prospect in Logan Allen. Andrew, thoughts on sale? It's location. It's always going to be location. That's kind of what it, they, you know the name of the game is for Chris Sale at this point. Pointing out last time that you know location is the last thing that comes back. And I actually thought Baltimore was going to be a good spot for him because that extended left field and. I think it was like the second – or it was Rutschman. I was like, oh, my God, that came true because he hit an absolute bomb. But it went to the warning track, and then it just kind of fell off from there. If he doesn't have his location, it's going to be a long game for him and the bullpen. I don't know what you can do at that po- at this point. You got to let him work through it. I mean, he's a seasoned vet. Hopefully he can give you at least five or six innings. You know, you're not going to get seven or eight out of him. I don't expect 11 Ks like he had in the twin series. This series was a little suspect. I mean, to not get a single swing and miss, there has to be something else going on. Brandon High got all pissed off that Cora suggested that he might be tipping, which, you know, that's like a, slight on his own pitcher, not on the Orioles, but he misconstrued it. And then Cora kind of walked it back a little bit, said he, you know, lost some athleticism in his delivery, whatever that means. Um, I don't know. I, he had to have been doing something because even when Sale isn't on his A game, he's going to get someone to swing and miss once. I don't care, you know, what it is. They were hitting balls and putting swings on balls that, you know, they had no business doing. Who knows what's going on? I don't expect to ever see that kind of uh, result again for Chris Sale. I think he'll bounce back slightly against Cleveland. We'll see. But, you know, if he misses his spots again, they're going to – Quan and Ramirez, they're going to be patient and they're going to work him. So we, we really do need him to be locating a hell of a lot better than he was yesterday. Yeah, to not get the whiffs is concerning because Chris Sale, even in his worst starts, can strike out six guys. Like, even when he's getting lit up for five, six, seven runs, he's giving up bombs, he still manages to kind of come back and strike out two guys after that. Or, you know, like, he always ends up with at least five plus Ks. To not get a single one, that's weird. Like, that's that that's weird for him. And... But it's, you know, I'm not willing to give him the pitch tipping as an excuse because, like you guys said, his location sucks right now. It's just, he, the slider is just floating over the middle of the plate. I mean, any big league hitter is going to get wide eyed and it's going to salivate over that pitch. Um, the fastball, like, there were times where he just, his shoulder just flew open and the fastball went like up and away and like, if not for, I forget who was catching him, if it was Wong and McGuire, but if not for whoever was back there, you know, jumping up and grabbing it, he would have had a couple go to the backstop. I mean, he looks like uh, Rick Vaughn from Major League, just, you know, 
taking out the, the batting dummy, uh, you know, just missing his location left and right. Like it's weird. His mechanics seem off. Um, the stuff is there. The velocity is there and he's got the movement on his pitches, but the mechanics are way off. Um, and then, yeah, not getting a single, you know, swing and miss for, for a strikeout. That's, that's really bizarre. So it was a bizarre start for him, but it still is just more of the same old crap, just giving up a ton of runs, missing his location, and then being a hard-o douche in, in the dugout, you know, pounding away at the cooler, and then the same old sale line at the at the end of the game. Well, I've got to be better. I know that. I, I'm letting my team down. Yeah, you've been letting the team down for about four years now. I mean, it's just – it's getting tiring. It, it really is. And I I tune in every time because I'm like, I'm waiting for the old Chris Sale to come back and for him to kind of, you know, really start shutting people up and just hasn't happened. So – I don't know what you do. All it really takes to beat Chris Sale, whether he's commanding or not, is just a patient approach at the plate. And the Twins weren't patient, and they got really sloppy, and it was what it was. And I knew the Orioles, at a minimum, were going to be patient. You know, maybe maybe Sale gives up, you know, five, a little bit more spread out. Maybe not three runs in one inning, but... The pitch counts were going to be high, no matter what. Uh, he he was going to get to eighty pitches, probably you know by the fourth inning or so. And he's been as bad as I've expected. Like when I picked the Red Sox to win seventy four games, it's because of this. It's because of this. And there's no help coming. <laughs> there's no help coming. You know, James Paxton just absolute trash right now against minor leaguers and calling him up. Isn't gonna, isn't gonna fix that. And, you know, we've heard the name Chris Murphy, uh, Brandon Walter, neither one of them are particularly off to a good start. You know, maybe the month of May will be better, but you can't convince me that these two are going to come up and do what we really needed Chris sale to do. And Chris Sale in spring training had me second guessing a little bit. He had a very good spring training, and um, but then the season started, and you know right away he just wasn't good. And so I mean Bloom's ass is on the line. So maybe maybe we might finally see a desperation trade if if we can hover around five hundred. You know a trade that's going to save his job and and bring in a serviceable arm that will give you a chance to win every time out because sales not going to do that. He might, he might give you a chance to win one out of every four or five. And that's just not sustainable. So, and, and you know, when you talk about his comments real quick, you know, he, he destroys himself after the game. I'll give him major props. If he says, uh, you know, if he gets shelled against Cleveland or the start after, if he says, well, maybe I should be DFA'd, then I'll give him, then I'll give him some props. Cause that tells me Chris sale knows exactly where he's at. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that he's completely, uh, 100% safe from that possibility. We've seen some other guys who no one would ever thought, would be DFA to get uh, that same treatment. It so. did. It did. It happened on the other side of the country. Teaser for the roundtable. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get into that in another episode. Um, moving on, number two on the list for this week, Andrew, what do we got? 
another day, another middle infielder goes down. This time it's Yu Chang and up comes uh, Valdez. And it was not good in the field. Um, you know, no one's really expected him to be good, but you expected him to be serviceable. He blew an absolute cookie of a throw from Caleboard to second uh, to start a double play, and he just dropped it. I uh, looked like you were throwing like a five-year-old a ball and they were trying to catch it for the first time and he didn't just couldn't do it. And then today he there's a line drive, Taylor made double play, Cedric Mullins was running on the uh pitch and he, he just smoked it. He, he just completely whiffed like a goalie that like has a puck coming and it's deflected and that's why he misses a glove save, but this one he just didn't even make the play and Mullins kind of looked at him like are you serious? And that cost them a run. Um, granted, who knows if it cost them the game or not, but you didn't feel confident after that. Uh, he had a hell of a diving play that ended up saving them a run, ironically, but he made a decision to throw it to second, and I don't know how he got the runner. And he almost got Kike killed, and all both of his knees taken off uh, when the runner slid into second. I don't know. He is a DH uh, in the long run. He's going to be bat first. Maybe you can hide him in a corner outfield spot somewhere in left field. I mean, this team's not going to be doing it just because they already have, you know, lefty corner outfielders that, you know, are better than him, quite frankly. But he's going to have to figure something out in terms of development because that is just not serviceable for any team. Uh, I just, unless he has 25, 30 home run power, which he really doesn't, uh, no one's going to, play him if you know this is the result because those weren't difficult plays you weren't asking too much it was literally just like field the damn ball on this routine uh throw in line drive right at you terry and valdez had a two error game uh in his previous call up so it's a pattern now like he is not a very good middle infielder and, uh, you know, I'd be curious to see how he does at first base. I mean, not a huge reason to be optimistic. He has swung a pretty good bat. He's pretty good at getting the bat on the ball and, and putting it in, in play, uh, you know, shooting them through the gaps and all that. But so that that's nice to see. But but yeah, but we're struggling right now. I mean, you look at our middle infield. We don't have Yu Chang anymore for another six weeks and. That's not going to hurt us offensively. I mean, he had like five hits. I think two or three of them were home runs and, and maybe he had eight hits, but I'm just saying he, he wasn't hitting well. Um, the glove was nice to see because that took Kike off a of short and over to second, which is a little bit more natural to, to Kike. So he had a nice defensive line uh, alignment there uh, in the infield uh, in terms of that, but now he's gone. And... Christian Arroyo hasn't been healthy for the last couple of weeks. Uh, there was one night where it looked like he might have a, had a calf problem. Uh, in recent games, he's uh, had a, a hamstring issue. So that's another bat, uh, you know, that's just potentially not going to be there. We're really thin right now. We're really thin. I mean, who the last, the only other remaining choice you have is david hamilton isn't it and and he's in double a if i'm not mistaken oh he's in no, he's, he, oh he's, he's in, in worcester. worcester oh my bad yep, he's okay. in worcester now i, I thought I, I read that wrong then but um but still i mean not 
not a great upgrade. I mean, Trevor Story can't get back soon enough, but I keep hearing after the All-Star break, after the All-Star break, and they're a lot less likely to to rush him along than, say, maybe, a, you know, a Adam Duvall, who's got nowhere near as much invested. Uh, and I'm not saying they're going to rush him along, but they're, they're going to be pretty cautious with, with Story. So, this is a this is a bad middle infield. I mean, Kike missed a lot of games last year due to a hip problem. Who's to say he doesn't get injured? You're done. If if Kike's gone, if you take that bat out of the lineup, what do you do? <laughs> Our we're hurting so bad right now. And I I I was thinking when Royal wasn't in the lineup. I'm like, or maybe he left a game early. I can't remember how it went, but I'm thinking, man, if this guy has another, you know, injury that's going to take him out six to eight weeks, why keep him? But guess what? You got no choice. You got no choice because you got nobody. Yeah. And hindsight's 2020, but you got to wonder if uh, they're sitting there going, man, we had a chance to sign Jose Iglesias before the Padres scooped him up. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, look, I I'm not I'm not the biggest Iglesias guy. I agree with Andrew about his defense, but I would still like I'd put him at second base. Sounds amazing right now. Play it Does day. it though? Because he hasn't had a single at bat at any level this year. I know, true. but true. <laughs> but it's it's that bad though. It's that bad. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. It's you're relying I mean, you on Nico Goodrum or someone like that if they really wanted to, but. I mean, that's probably going to be the same exact uh, impact that Iglesias would have on a team right now. Because, again, not a single at-bat at any level of baseball this season. <laughs> no, Which it's, is crazy. It's I don't know what he was doing and, like, why he didn't play in the minors. He was probably mad because they just didn't, you know, give him the promotion right away. But still, I mean, yeah, that was uh, – I wish we would have been in on him all along, quite frankly, but – um, where this is bad. I've never. When do you? When has there ever been a Red Sox middle infield like this? I mean, Pedroia had his injuries, but you always still had Bogarts at short. Um, it's just, it's. I've never seen it like this. It so. it really hurts. Christian Arroyo turning back into a pumpkin, and then also getting hurt again on top of that has killed them because that was a guy that after story went down, we all felt pretty comfortable about if Arroyo plays every day, he's not going to give you Trevor story like contributions, but he's a pretty decent player and he looked good at times last year when, when he got more playing time. Um, so I think that was a guy we all felt pretty good about, you know, after story went down, he's gone completely backwards, both, Health-wise and at the plate, he's just gone completely backwards, and it's killed them. It's it's absolutely killed them. So, I mean, hopefully, whatever is going on with his legs, hopefully he gets that figured out and he's able to get healthy again and start playing every day because this kid Valdez is a butcher in the field. I mean, he really is. And I, unless he gets better with the glove, I don't know what kind of – career development he can really have you mentioned you know do you stick him at first base i can't imagine a five nine guy playing first base very well true i just i don't think i've ever seen it so he, he's got to figure that out but yeah they are 
very thin right now. It's the middle infield is a major concern for this team. And uh, yeah, they need Trevor story to get healthy as soon as possible, but he's still quite a ways away, unfortunately. Um, any other thoughts on the middle infield situation before we get to the number one on the list? All good. All right. So Terry, take us away. Who is number one on the list this week? Number one is the bullpen in general. Um, it's getting bad in terms of load management. Ryan Brazier has, I think coming into yesterday, it was he had pitched in 13 of 24 games. That's insane. You've had uh, Caleb Ort also not quite as heavily used, but not uh, not too far behind Brazier. And he's got nothing. He's got a 96-mile-an-hour fastball that is over the plate, and he gets tattooed. And, and sometimes he, he can't even command that. And he'll try to mix in a slider here and there, and that doesn't work well. And he was in kind of mop-up duty uh, in game two, Red Sox had a massive lead, six or seven runs, gives up a grand slam. Kenley Jansen had to come into a high-stress situation that escalated quickly to the night. You know, he's got the night off. minute and a half later, he's he's got a ball in his hand, and he's warming up. And that, that was a game that the, the Red Sox won in the series. But, um, but one of the things I've noticed is when Sale came out in the fifth inning, well, actually, before he even came out, he gave up one run in the fifth. There was traffic on the bases, and there was nobody warming up. There was nobody warming up, and it was a one-run game at that point. So why that's significant is Alex Cora is at the point where he's got to force himself to possibly lose a game here in order to keep the bullpen somewhat healthy. Sale gets through the inning, giving up one more run. I think it was the go-ahead run. And then Ryan Brazier comes into the game. He had he had to go to Brazier. And Brazier, his ERA is like in the high sixes, but he's had a lot of scoreless outings as well. So I, I feel like we're kind of getting lucky a little bit with our usage of Brazier. Brazier. I mean, he'll he'll give up two or three runs in an appearance, and then his next two or three after that is scoreless. But you just you're seeing the unsustainability of this bullpen. And when I'm criticizing Chris Sale earlier, he's a big part of it. He's a re, he's part of the reason why the bullpen is where it's at. And just today, and I forget which inning it was. Actually, I can find it right here. So I it looks like it was the the ninth inning today or eighth inning rather. Cause uh, they were at home. The I'm sorry. I'm all mixed up, but Schreiber was in the game with a three run deficit and Cora had no choice, but to, but to go to him. I mean, he was the freshest arm. You couldn't have Brazier in there again. You couldn't have Ort, which would have been ideal, but you've already maxed them out. So you have to go to one of your best guys in a losing effort here. And we're not even through April yet. What does late May look like or late June? I I didn't I thought we were going to be worse than 500. This team is performing better than I thought it would be in April. 
But I just don't see how it continues on this path of grinding games out and, and staying at 500 or hopefully a few games above 500. I don't know how we get there with the, the taxation that's been put on this bullpen. And who's coming up? I, we're going to get Chris Martin back, so I guess that's a that's a pretty good net positive. But still, he he's gonna he's gonna be worn out too at the at the rate we're going. You know, I, I, Kluber had a good start. I I'm zero and three with automatic losses. Every time I say it's an automatic loss for the Red Sox, they end up winning. And before as Kluber's warming up to take his start, I'm like, who's coming in in the third or fourth inning? What's the plan? <laughs> How, how do you how do you get through that? I, it might have had to have been Cutter Crawford actually, uh, just to simply eat up some innings, uh, and and that would have sucked because if Kluber's out in the third, you're down five or six runs probably, and, and you're wasting Cutter Crawford when you know maybe he could piggyback off of Hulk today or or something. I I don't know. I just but the bullpen's a problem, uh, not just from a performance standpoint, but from a sustainability standpoint. And I suspect the theme is going to continue. Andrew. Yeah, you know, they, they need some guys back, and that is Chris Martin. He's throwing tomorrow, Thursday. So I think they said they hope to have him up by this weekend if all goes smoothly. Um, he was, you know, supposed to be your main setup, man. And once he's back in there, it's going to look a lot more deep. That probably – I hope it options or out of there uh, and not Bernardino. I'd rather have him in mop up duty at this point. Cause he's looked somewhat professional, especially today looked pretty good. So that's what they'll need. I don't know what's going on with Jolie. He was obviously put on the 60 day. So that puts him end of May theoretically. Cause he went down in uh, spring training. So opening day is day one of that. That's what they need. Honestly, I feel like a lot of this is a race to um, a race to the sixty day mark because then you might have Mondesi, you might have uh, uh, Jolie Rodriguez, and who knows who else is on that sixty day IL. But that aside, I'm not too sure who else is going to be coming up. Um, Ryan Fernandez started his rehab down in uh, Portland. He's looked good. Maybe he's a second half reliever, but I'm calling around if Jaron Duran is actually this guy. I'm seeing if anyone wants uh my god, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh Tapia. And you know, seeing what you, if you can't get a sixth inning reliever for him if someone's uh you know a little short in their outfield depth. But they do need an arm. Brazier's been fine for what he's been doing, and that's no leverage roles. He had that one game against the Angels, which I think shocked the world uh, when he got out the heart of their order. But if they're bringing him in down four or up six, whatever, that's fine with me. Every team's got one of those scrubs, and I guess it's going to be our scrub that we'll never get rid of. Well, I would call game one of the series somewhat high leverage. I mean, he was brought into a one-run game in the sixth inning. And I, I get it. I get it. But I mean, it's not ideal either. Yeah. I mean, you, that, that's, that's the whole point, especially when you're going to be rolling out a six man rotation, you're going to be lacking depth in the bullpen. I don't know if that equals Tanner Halleck or Whitlock going in there. I don't think they want to make that decision. Now I saw some people say Brian Bayo. I think that'd be a ridiculous mistake to move him into the bullpen at this point of his career. But 
Yeah, they're going to have to figure out a couple things. Uh, they're going to have to start trimming fat. Again, Chris Martin coming back is going to be huge. That takes a little off Winkowski. Cutter Crawford's been a godsend um, for what he's been able to pull off because you've needed him to go four or five innings, essentially be your emergency starter some of these games. But they're going to have to, I I think, go outside of the organization to eventually find an arm at some point this season. Yeah, I like the idea of shopping Tapia for an arm because I, I think that his spot on this roster doesn't make a ton of sense right now. Um, you know, as long as Duran continues to do what he's doing now, you know, there's no way to tell that if you trade Tapia for an arm and then Duran starts to go backwards, you know, there's no way to tell if that's going to happen. But I, I would still rather they do something like that because Terry's right. Like the, the usage right now of some of these guys, like John Schreiber is going to get worn out by July, August. That guy is, is going to start to get sore. He's never pitched this much in his career. He's been a journeyman who, you know, was stashed at the back end of most, most teams bullpens. Like he's never been used this much. Um, and I, I feel the same about, you know, guys like Brazier, you know, Brazier's going to get worn out. He's, he's no spring chicken. It's like what, 34, 35 years old. So 36 in August. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he might get worn out. Chris Martin is, is no spring chicken either. He's, he's in his late thirties. So, the the only positive out of the bullpen right now is Kenley Jansen is holding it down and doing his job in the ninth. But the journey to get to him is, you know, just such a, a tightrope back act every single time. Um, like you said, Martin coming back is going to be huge. I think at that point you can safely blow Caleb Ort out of there. Um, he's to me, he's useless. I don't care that he's the grill master. That guy does not have good stuff just throws his fastball right down the middle every time. Um, you know, Jolie coming back in, you know, after the 60 day will definitely be helpful because Bernardino has been good in his first couple of outings, but that's not going to last. That, that guy is going to get torched at some point. Uh, Blyer is no great shakes to me. I, I don't understand the hype around him. I know that they were excited to get him when they did and they painted him as like, Oh, he's a strike thrower. And he, you know, gets a lot of ground balls. He's not going to blow you away with strikeouts, but he'll, you know, he'll have productive clean innings. He's done the exact opposite. I feel like every time Blyer comes in, it's base it, base it, base it, run scores. Okay. Now we got to take him out. So he's been pretty useless as well. Um, I, I hope they make a move. I really do. I hope they make a move at some point because if we're doing the whole, we got to, you know, keep our water until guys get healthy again. It, there's only so much, there's only so long that's going to work and they've been lucky to be 500 so far. I, I think you got to go get somebody and, and you got to do it soon because it's just, it's not going to last. It's not going to last until June, July, when guys start coming back and, and are healthy again. And by that time, if you keep doing playing these games with the bullpen, you might be well under 500 and, you know, start to be sort of out of it by that point. So I, I agree with Andrew. I, I hope they make a move soon. And Bernardino did look good today. I didn't think he looked particularly great uh, in the first outing. I thought he was a little, not so much wild, but you know, a little bit erratic. So, and he was brought up specifically because of load management for Blyer. So, Bayo ends up being the the casualty there. And uh, we're teaser for the next show. There'll be some Brian Bayo talk. Uh, but it's just, 
it's crazy how thin we are right now in, in multiple areas of the team. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Bernardino that first outing. I mean, two innings, didn't give up a run, but four hits. I mean, he, he was getting hit. So, you know, like I said, it, his his good outings, that's only going to last so long because he's, he's a depth piece. He's not, you know, he's not going to turn into John Schreiber 2.0. He's a journeyman, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with that, we will get on to our next series. Uh, that's going to be against the Cleveland Guardians uh, starting on Friday. Red Sox have an off day tomorrow, which they desperately need, uh, especially those bullpen arms like we've been talking about. So, uh, Terry, why don't you take us through game one? Who are we looking at? Well, before I do that, let me just kind of set the table real quick. Um the Guardians are a bad offensive team right now. They're uh, just one game under 500, so that doesn't look terrible, uh, you know, especially if you're comparing them to us. But uh, they're currently 23rd in batting average, 24th in runs scored, 26th in runs batted in, and 29th in home runs. Only the Washington Nationals have hit fewer home runs uh, than the Guardians. They, they've lost their last three straight series. Two of them were to bad teams. Uh, one, the Tigers. Uh, the most recent series that they're coming off of was against the Rockies. That was a losing series as well. Um, they've won only three of their last 10. So we're catching them theoretically at a very good time. And uh, especially where we're, um, we're at home. So... Uh, their pitching hasn't been terrible, but um, just not a lot of run support. So with that in mind, uh, game one, this is Friday night again at Fenway Park. That is going to be uh, Shane Bieber versus Nick Pavetta. So Jason, who do you like in that one? Uh, you're not going to get me to bet against Shane Bieber. Um, I, you know, and I know like he's had a pretty average start to his season, but Bieber's nasty. He, he's one of the nastier pitchers in the league still. And Nick Pavetta is coming off a pretty decent start his last time out. So uh, the way that he usually goes, that means he'll get absolutely lit up in this game. Um, even by a bad Cleveland offense, I could just see him having, like we talked about earlier, one of those just bad fall apart innings where he gives up four or five runs and that's all Shane Bieber's going to need. So I'll take Cleveland game one. Andrew. I don't think Shane Bieber's been good this season. He's on extended rest since, you know, they didn't put him in the playoffs. So he's got that extra week this year. Uh, never forgive Frank Kona for that one. But <laughs> if you look at his Savant page, it's a lot of blue in there. Um, he hasn't been his normal dominant self. His velocity across the board is down. So the Red Sox have to hop on him early I think an off day does this team wonders 19th street. That's a lot of baseball, uh, especially when you're on the road for a good amount of it. I think the Red Sox get to him early. I think they put up some runs. Um, I don't know how sharp Pavetta is going to be. He needs to be sharp because Juan and Ramirez, they're not going to extend the zone on him. Um, but Crawford will be fully rested. Winkowski will have uh, all. I think the Red Sox can win this game if they have a good uh, for, you know first couple innings. So you're picking the Red Sox? Picking the Red Sox. Okay. Um, I'll agree that it is a winnable game for the Red Sox, especially if uh, Pavetta is, is solid. But like Jason, I'm just 
I just can't pick against uh, you know Shane Bieber. He he's given up just three uh, runs or less in every start, so he is he is finding ways to get guys out. The strikeouts haven't been there. That's the big glaring issue, and that's probably why his chart is all blue. His stuff just hasn't been good enough to to finish guys off. But uh, he does have a um, start against the Yankees. That was actually three starts ago. Seven uh, full innings of just two run ball in that one his best start of the year. So I think, I think he's crafty enough to, you know, to, to figure out how to navigate this Red Sox lineup, which isn't too scary. So uh, put me down for the guardians in game one. Uh, Game two is Garrett Whitlock versus Zach Plesak. Did I get that right? Yes. Uh, so Jason, who do you like in that one? I'll take the Red Sox in game two. Zach, please. Zach, I think kind of stinks. Um, he gives up a lot of hard contacts and he's got a whip of like 1.8 so far this year. He's given up a lot of hits. And, you know, as I said earlier, like that's when this Red Sox offense is at their best when they can just string together hit after hit after hit. Um, I think they're going to jump on please. Zach. I don't know what you'll get out of Whitlock. Um, I think this is going to be a little bit of a test for him. But the Guardians offense hasn't been going well so far. So maybe he's running into them at the right time, like we said earlier. So I think Whitlock will pitch well enough to keep the minute. But I think the Red Sox could jump out to a quick early lead against Plesak. And uh, hopefully a bullpen holds it down and they're able to keep it. But uh, I like the Red Sox in game two. Red Sox for game two as well for me. I don't think Zach Plesak's that good. I don't think he ever took the next step in his development that kind of looked like he might. Uh, Historically, Red Sox have had some pretty good success against him. He doesn't have the swing and miss stuff. And luckily, you know, if the Red Sox can work some counts, especially guys like Casas, you know, he gets some deeper at-bats against him. You know, he's not going to work, you know, work himself into a strikeout. You know, Devers might be a little more aggressive, but I think the Red Sox can handle a pitcher of Zach Plesak's, uh, you know, stature. I'm torn on this game. I think all your points with uh, Plesak are valid. He's not an overpowering guy. If if the Red Sox lineup can figure out a way to get the bat on the ball, uh, he's definitely very beatable. The thing that makes me uncomfortable with Whitlock is only one strikeout in his previous performance. And I'm going to guess he wasn't tipping pitches uh, like possibly Sale was against uh, the Baltimore Orioles. So I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it, but if Pavetta goes six or seven innings, that's going to be an even more well-rested bullpen to come in. It should Whitlock only go four or five innings. And I'm going to give a very slight edge to the Red Sox in game two, uh, game three, that's Sunday afternoon, uh, Logan Allen versus Chris Sale. Jason, who do you like in that one? I'm not picking Chris Sale to win any games anytime soon. Um, I just Until he proves me wrong, until he actually goes out there and learns how to locate his pitches again, um, I'm not trusting him. So I don't know much about Logan Allen, but I, I know that he's he's a pretty good young talent for them. Um, it, I don't think it's going to matter. I think Sale's going to get lit up. He's going to give up probably four or five runs, maybe even more. 
Um, who knows where the bullpen will be at by game three if, you know, if Whitlock can't go deep into his start and they have to get used up a lot, then, you know, maybe those those arms are tired coming in after Chris Sale gives up, you know, all the runs he gives up and is out by the third inning or whatever it is. Um, so I just I, – I don't like the spot. I, I, I can't trust Chris Sale at this point. I'll take the Guardians in game three. One of these times I might find a, a reason to pick the Red Sox to win the series, but uh, it's not going to be against the Guardians. And they could win it, especially if I'm wrong in game one. You know, if they win games one and two, certainly they would win it. But um, the, the one thing that makes me nervous about the Indians is they very seldom strike out. So I don't think you're going to see the sloppy plate appearances that we saw against the last uh, AL Central team. Um, I I have to... I have to take, uh, uh, I got to take the Guardians in this one. Um, would I be shocked if Sale figures it out and just grinds his way through, uh, you know, five innings? And I, I probably wouldn't be extremely shocked, but I just, out of principle, I, I just can't, I can't pick him right now. So I'm going to take the Guardians uh, two to one here but I could be wrong. Uh, I'll say this, though. I mean, we've got the Blue Jays coming up for four games after, so this is a big series. Like, you want to you wanna come out of this with a series win, but everything's wonky, and games one and two can really go either way. I, I, don't, I don't feel super comfortable with anything about this Guardian series one way or the other. I don't care if it was 2017 Chris Sale pitching this game. Whenever the Red Sox see a young, good pitcher for the first time, they never hit him. So for that reason alone, give me the Guardians on this one against Logan Allen. Uh, tough young lefty, zero video on the kid. Unless he can't handle the spotlight, which I don't think will be a you know an issue for him. That's the only way I could see him getting rattled. I don't think the Red Sox do much in terms of offense this game. All right. Well, with that, we will wrap it up for this week's episode. Um, we'll have our roundtable episode coming up this weekend, talking a little Brian Bayo and some other stuff going on around the around Major League Baseball as well. So check that out. And then after that, the weekend crew will be back with you guys on Monday to talk about the Guardian series, and we'll see how that one goes. So look forward to those episodes, and we will see you all later. Take care.